Okay, uh, hang on. There was Butchie, Big Chief, Psycho, Hercules, Little Psycho, no relation to regular Psycho, Cookie, Tweety. Tell me a story about Tweety. About Tweety. Okay. Oh, how about the one with uh, Tweety and Dub? Sure. Okay. When I was 12, Dub's 13. We're playing stickball on the sidewalk in front of the building. About eight guys. You know what stickball is? Yes. How do you... Just go. Okay. We're playing on the sidewalk. Dub's standing there at the plate. Got the bat. Ray slipped off the bench, struck a pose. Ball comes in. He took a full swing. And behind him is this girl, Tweety. She's just like daydreaming or whatever. And the stick on the backswing like clips her right over the eye like zip. Slices off half of her eyebrow. The skin, the flesh. Stop. Ruby hissed, jiggling her knees. Dub, he doesn't even know he did it. But she's standing there and, you know, like Dub, she was black, Tweety, very dark skinned. And it's like all of a sudden, over her eye, there's this deep, bright pink gash, totally dry. She says, oh, Dub, in a shocked voice, not mad, more like upset or scared. And I remember what was freaky to me was that from the waist up, she was calm. But below, her legs were running in place. And in the next second, that dry pink gash, it just fills up with blood. And now, Dub sees what he did. Everybody sees it. And I remember, she says, Oh, Dub, again, in this fluty voice. And then the blood just spills, coming down over that side of her face like someone had turned on a faucet. And everybody just freaks, just, we're all 12, 13 years old. Tweety is like 10, but when we saw all that blood, people, the guys, everybody freaked. And most of them, they ran away. They just ran. Except me. I'm standing there, and Dub, Dub is still holding the stick bat. And he has this angry look on his face like, it's not, it's more like he's stunned. He knows he's in trouble. He knows he should do something, apologize, explain why it's not his fault, but he can't. He can't even move, you know? The blood. And, and now she's crying. Tweety and me, I'm as freaked as anybody, but I just wound up going robot on it. What I do is I pull off my sweaty T-shirt, or white T-shirt, roll it up in a ball, and I go over and put it on her eyebrow, like a compress. I'm holding it there with one hand, and I put my arm around her shoulder. She was a short little pudgy kid, a butterball. And I steer her up to the curb, and we sit on the curb rib to rib. I'm holding my T-shirt to that gash. I got my arm around her, and we just sit there. I have no idea what to do, what I'm doing. She's crying, and Dub, he's still standing there with the stick bat. He looks fierce, like he wants to punch somebody, but he is stone paralyzed. We're sitting there maybe three minutes, me and Tweety. I think I got the blood stopped. Dub's playing statue, and all of a sudden I look at him, and his eyes go, pop, bugging. And he's, someone's coming from the other direction, and just like that, he drops the stick bat and hauls ass out of there. And he could run. Dub, but this wasn't running. This was freight training. He was pumping so hard he could have gone through a wall. So I turned to see what made him go off. It's Eddie Paris, his dad. Eddie doesn't chase him or anything. He just crouches down in front of me and Tweety on the curb, you know, like squatting on the balls of his feet. And he's calm. Got a cigarette hanging from his lips, got his hair all processed, you know, Marcel back, and I'm like, finally, we got a grown-up here, thank God. 
But instantly, Twee starts saying, Mr. Paris, it's not Dub's fault he didn't see me. It's my fault. Because she, I mean, everybody knew how Eddie listened to his kids when they screwed up. And it was, I guess she was a nice enough person. A kid. I didn't really know her, but she says all this stuff to get Dub off the hook. But Eddie, it's like he's not even paying attention to her. He just puts his hand on my hand, holding that T-shirt. I mean, that thing was a big red sponge at this point. And he tells me to let go, and he starts trying to tease the shirt off the gash to see the damage. But he can't. The cotton has meshed with the wound and was, like, stuck to it. So he takes my hand, puts it back on the T-shirt, says, just sit tight. And that's what we did. Where was Tweety's dad? I don't think she had one. Her family, her mother was some kind of wino or something, had this crackly voice, dragged herself around in a house dress. Oh, what? Bathrobe. And she had two older brothers, Tweety. One was like this ghetto-style drag queen, Antoine. He'd go around in flip-flops and a hairnet. He'd, like, camel walk, like... Ray got up again and took a few steps in a languid, undulating mime, his eyes both sleepy and predatory. You know, hang around the boys' room at school, tell you you were standing too close to the urinal, make you take a step back to see what... Ray broke it off. Anyways, Antoine, he stabbed someone, went to reform school, came out, stabbed someone else, went to jail. And she had this other brother, Butchie, in and out of jail, real hardcore tough guy. Stick-ups, guns, drugs, no sense of humor. What do you mean, no sense? I'm... It's a joke. Ruby stared at him, the story getting away from her. Okay. Five minutes after he left us, Eddie Paris pulls up to the curb in his station wagon and he puts me and Tweety in the back seat. We're like Siamese twins connected by a T-shirt. He drives us to the Dempsey Medical Center. I'm still with no shirt on and I'm wearing white dungarees. Dungarees? Jeans. They just started selling white ones that summer. White, so you can imagine what they look like with all that blood. We go into the emergency room. I'm topless, sitting there with her a half hour on the benches until she gets called. The doctor finally takes over on the T-shirt holding job. They give me a hospital smock to wear, and they let me watch as they kind of wash the T-shirt away from her eyebrow. Little by little, then they sew her up. Guy looked like he was lacing a boot. Eddie drives us back home, not saying a word. And little Tweety, she just keeps up this line of... Mr. Paris, Dub didn't see me. It's not his fault. It was an accident. Which is pretty amazing that a ten-year-old could have that awareness of other people. The trouble they were in, you know what I'm saying? Go on. Eddie just keeps driving, doesn't say a word. Takes us back to Hopewell, and that was it. Did she say thank you? To who? To you. Nope. Why not? I don't know. She was a little kid. But she talked about Dub. Dub was in trouble. I wasn't. Ruby, she was in fifth grade. Thank you was like Latin to a fifth grader. I would have said thank you. And I would have said you're welcome. Whatever. What happened to Dub? Somebody said that he slept on the roof of our building that night. Came home the next afternoon once his dad went off to work. But I don't really know. What happened to Tweety? I'm not sure. Something not good, I think. 
The last thing I remember with her was about mm, three, four years later when she was a teenager. She got caught spray-painting White Bitch on the wall of the Eleven Building, caught by the housing cops right in the act. And I remember that day being on the basketball courts. All of a sudden, everybody's running to the fence, and there's Tweety between these two cops, and she's not exactly crying, but there's, like, leakage coming down her face, and they march her off to the management office on the other side of the projects. A whole bunch of kids kind of following them, making jokes and whatever. I mean, I hate to say this, Ruby, but kids can be real shits. Did you make any jokes? I don't remember. I hope not. Did Dub make any jokes? I don't think he was there. Did Dub ever apologize? For the... to Tweety? My guess is not. I would have apologized. I don't doubt it. Another train shot past down on Rocker, distance giving it the scale of a Christmas toy. Go on, Ruby said. Go on where? Tell me another one. Part One Contra Coup Chapter One Ray, January 4th Entering Paulus Hook High School for only the second time since graduation, 25 years earlier, Ray approached the security desk, a rickety card table set up beneath the blue-and-gold Christmas Kwanzaa Hanukkah banner, which still hung from the ceiling in the darkly varnished lobby four days into the new year. The uniformed guard standing behind the sign-in book was a grandmotherly black woman, short, bespectacled, wearing an odd homemade uniform of fuzzy-knit watch cap, Gray slacks and a commando sweater, a khaki rib pullover with